1: Well, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and ESPN's Courtney Cronin inside the TCO Performance Center, and we have just watched the pads popping and clicking and making Ooh. many other noises.
0: What's all these, these these adjectives? Will those be adjectives? Those would be
1: adjectives. Yes. They yes. Would be. English major, were you? No,
0: journalism major.
1: Not the same thing. Definitely
0: not the same thing.
1: Uh, So the pads were indeed on for the Minnesota Vikings at the fourth day of training camp. Fifth day? Fifth day. Fifth day of training camp. Third for the veterans. I will get this set up properly at some point. Uh, and so now it's really on Mm -hmm. when they don't have pads on. It's like, okay, well, almost anybody can look good. People can go up and make great catches. Offensive linemen can look like they got their footwork ready, but then when it's on, then it's really on. So what we're going to do is just run through three things each that stuck out to us through these first five days, but especially now that the pads are on what we're going to look for going forward. And the place I want to start is Kendall Wright, who we talked about a little bit in the bold predictions episode, wondering where he was going to fit in and five days in, he is still exclusively with the second team. We have seen Brandon Zilstra, Tavares King, Caleb Jones, all working with the first team. These are guys who were not on the Vikings last year, aside from Caleb Jones practice squad or one uh, Zilstra was in the CFL and still not, Kendall Wright getting a whole lot of reps what does that say to you
0: it says to me Kendall Wright is exactly where he was in minicamp and in OTAs far behind and in a place that they didn't expect him to be I mean this is a guy that they thought was the number three receiver you know is a primarily a slot guy which I think probably hinders him just a little bit because you don't know what you, what else you can do with him um, in this type of offense I just think they're so loaded Um mean you know you have a great slot receiver and Adam Thielen and you know the way that other guys have trumped him in, in just a couple days to me is somewhat concerning that this might be a candidate either for a trade. I don't, I don't need to to think of other trade candidates uh, not coming to mind all that quickly, but a guy that could potentially be cut from the 90 man roster when they whittle it down to 53.
1: Yeah. The fact that they only gave him $1 million, I've gone back to it a few times, but that would probably be the issue with, looking for any sort of trade partner is that if he Mm -hmm. had to take a $1 million deal here, then he probably didn't have a whole lot of interest. And it might tell you just what the NFL evaluators think about him as a wide receiver. If you have 59 catches, it also tells you they don't look at fantasy numbers because if a guy had 59 catches and they only judged it on a one to a hundred ratio, did you have one or a hundred catches then he would get a lot of money yeah. because we've seen other guys that had 50-something catches. Sammy Watkins had fewer than 40 catches, I believe, last year, Mm -hmm. but not a huge payday. Yeah,
0: I think with Kendall Wright, too, I mean, you take a look at the offense he was in last year. We were talking about this at practice. It's very much a small sample size of just really an indictment of how bad the Bears' offense was In 2017, to where he was a leading receiver. And I think there were those expectations that he would come in here and be able to grab hold of a sizable role. I don't know if he's, if he's, I remember talking to him in the spring just about how different this playbook is. And he said he hadn't, some of the concepts that uh, John DiFilippo had drawn up early on are things that were completely foreign to him. Uh, Guy's been in the league for six years. You don't want to hear that as an offensive coordinator that you haven't seen, you know, I mean, I'm sure the crossing routes and some of those base concepts are the same, but the fact that he couldn't grab hold um, of that early on is concerning and makes me think that he's slipping further down the, uh, you know, the competition chart as it stands.
1: So let's make the depth chart out right now. Okay. Who do you have as the Vikings wide receivers? Do you have Kendall pulling it together and making it, or does he not? And another, I, I don't have
0: him making it right now, no.
1: Another side note is just that Mike Zimmer said beyond the three, Treadwell's going to be on the team. Yeah. They're not going to let him go. Beyond that, special teams will be a big deal in decision-making and Kendall Wright is not a special teams guy.
0: No, a, a guy like Stacy Coley could potentially be. I mean, that's where, you know, you anticipate that he's doing a lot of work out there in kind of limited capacity since he's been battling through that apparent groin injury. Um, you know, I think Coley makes it. I think Zilstra for sure. Uh, as I'm saying this right now on July 30th, there's still a lot of time in camp. Um, and, you no, know, I guess if I'm going for that uh number 6 spot, you know, if Kendall writes out, maybe a guy like Tavares King for now, maybe someone, I'm trying to think who else.
1: At this moment, Probably, I would agree with
0: you. Yeah, but I, I nobody I mean, whenaki no Bad it no. Bad it's fast and you know, he's shifty, but I don't know if that's gonna be something where he's gonna be able to fight for like the sixth guy. Could um, be practice
1: squad guy. Would practice squad be... yeah, I
0: think practice squad, I think Caleb Jones obviously was somebody they had high expectations for and he's got the suspension he's got to deal with for the first four weeks. But then coming back, maybe you have a guy like Tavares King, a veteran presence there, a guy who has NFL experience. Um, and you could keep you know, keep him on for four weeks and then activate Caleb Jones, and then he's a sixth receiver.
1: That would be my thought is if Caleb Jones plays well through camp and in the preseason games like he did last year, that we will see him make the roster technically, but the decision will really be just kicked down the road a little bit. So, okay, that's where we stand with the receivers. Yes. Uh, I have breaking news, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, still awesome. They, yes. They've just been so much better than everyone else. You can see it. It's not close. Like just how talented these guys are shines on a day to day basis on the practice field.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, and I think that their level of play elevates that entire group. Um, it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but it didn't elevate the rest of the group last year. I mean, they were all not very good. It was very much a below average sect uh, from Jarius right on. I think you're seeing Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs make Laquan Treadwell better. You know, when we saw Stacy Coley in very limited action that first day of uh, when they were still in shorts, the first day that they practiced, he looked pretty good. He was moving around well. I mean, that's a that's a huge reason why this receiving core can take its next level because of those two. Um, my bold, not bold prediction, I guess my first observation. Bullet uh, points. Bullet, bullet points.
1: Bullet point uh Observations. What is your number three?
0: I've been looking at actually as my the number three uh, receipt number three running back role has been something I've zeroed in on uh, in the early part of camp. Um, there's some competition there with the younger guys that I think is really intriguing because you have two different types of backs in uh, Rock Thomas and Mike Boone, um, Mac Brown. I-, I feel like we forget to talk about him. I mean mm. he. You know he's just right now he's just a guy and if I had to put it out there just given the reps we've seen and Rock Tom, or excuse me Mike Boone moving mixing in a little bit with the ones on Sunday and on Monday that's that's a pretty good sign and for me I'm wondering okay what are they exactly looking for from the number three role. I mean, we talk about change of pace and, you know, a guy who can, you know, do a number of different things like Jarius Wright did is, you know, kind of being that explosive guy who can catch a pass out of the backfield. Do they have that in Mike Boone or Rock Thomas? Um, I believe that they do. And I think we've seen a little bit of that early on. And that's only going to be, you know, one of the battles that you continue to see progress through camp and probably become one of the more intriguing ones just given, they need some one they need a different element. They know what they have in Cook. They know what they have in Murray. How they figure out what that looks like, I think that's gonna be a few more weeks away.
1: I think it's obvious that Rock Thomas is the best running back I've ever seen. Okay. To
0: clarify, we have had a back and forth during camp all throughout the last five days of Rock Thomas's Matt's guy, Mike Boone from Cincinnati, is my guy. So it's kinda like, oh, Look at my guy getting reps in with the ones, mixing in with the ones.
1: Have you ever had anything in your life where you legitimately said you are team something? You know how people say like, oh, I'm team whatever. I'm team LeBron. I'm team Kobe.
0: No, because that's the type of stuff that annoys me when people are like you know, associate, oh I'm team this, I'm team that, and then those are the same people who be like, oh, Vikings nation, or like, you know, they take a team, they're like Bulls Nation, Warriors Nation, Blackhawks Nation. No, stop. Not everything's a nation. Stop
1: it. Red Sox started that, right?
0: I have no idea. I, I, think, th- I think the think Red it's Sox. stupid and it drives me nuts.
1: Okay. So I am team Rock Thomas, Rock okay. Thomas Nation. Rock me like a Vikings hurricane is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Here's why here's why I like Rock Thomas as a potential to get this job is because he can catch the ball at the backfield. And so can Mike Boone. Being able to do that at a higher level than Mike Boone clearly um no, I you know what I like about him is he was a five star recruit and the only reason that he left Auburn was because on Johnson was their starting running back was, he and he wanted to get too. more time.
0: And he was hurt too and he's coming off that. So I mean he had to you know, had to find a place where he could get the get those reps and that was Jacksonville State. But you know, what was the thing that you were like knocking Mike Boone for earlier? Uh, it was the yards after the it was the yards after the catch, right? I don't
1: know. I I mean, at this point, I've just been making things up about. Mike <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, for is... for reasons that he shouldn't make the team. But if one of those two, if it does come down to one of those two, the thing that is going to determine it might not be something we can fully understand, which is the pass protection. Yes. And Latavius Murray, you asked him a question about that. He talked about that, is that will be the difference maker a lot of times for those guys. Can we bring you in on a play if you have to be in there and you are able to protect the passer? We don't really know just watching these things, if they're getting their assignments right on pass protection, if they're picking up the concepts and who they're supposed to look to on on each play and what their assignments are. It's just really hard to know that from watching training camp.
0: But it is a good point because a very big reason why Dalvin superseded everyone last year. Granted Latavius was out for, you know, he didn't come back to training camp until very late because of the ankle. And, you know, Jarek McKinnon wasn't probably going to win that number one job to begin with, but, but, what was the number one thing that everybody was touting? Not how good of a pass catcher he was, not you know how quick he was and shifty and you know just the, his field vision. It was pass protection. And that's why he is a huge reason why on blitz pickups. We saw him doing a little bit of it today. Um, they still are kind of pulling the reins on him. He and Latavius are splitting those ones reps, which is important because you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself with Dalvin Cook right now. But, that could be the deal breaker. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know how we evaluate that as far as, you I mean, when they do the drills, when they've got the the trash cans we saw today, like, you know, going against <laughs> yes. the linebackers, like, I don't know if that's much you can take away, but that will probably end up being... That's a good question for John Filippo, actually. Just, you know, how do you evaluate, you know, what more you want to see from them in pass protection.
1: And Mike Zimmer talked about the um, differences with each guy's skill set mm-hmm. and how... It will depend on the fit with the offense. Right now, I think I would just put it all three of those guys for the number three running back have a 33% chance of making it.
0: I think that that's, that's the right – you know, this is the one time we've actually gotten math probably correct on this on this podcast.
1: Well, the math people might, like, well, actually mean be like, it's actually 33.3 3 continuous.
0: Seven at the end. Isn't that how is it works? Is there seven? I don't know. Hmm.
1: Uh, My next one is Holton Hill, that everyone is praising Holton Hill. And again, reminder, day five, hasn't played in game yet, but it was very interesting to hear Stefan Diggs praise Holton Hill and Xavier Rhodes talk about how much he wants to learn. And to actually see that on the field today after practice, we saw Holton Hill working with not just one but two professional cornerbacks in Terrence Newman and Xavier Rhodes on things. And that is interesting that these guys who are the starters and the stars taking their time. Newman will always do it, but Rhodes, too, to teach Holton Hill different techniques after practice and work with him. And the fact that he wants to do that. It says something about his trajectory, and my understanding is that he is a guy they want to make the team. They feel really good about getting Holton Hill as an undrafted free agent, and at least at this point, very early, he has made a great first impression.
0: And and I think the thing with him, when you put the pads on, he looks bigger, obviously, than than what he Same. is but he's I huge look bigger. he I mean he's so physical this is a mismatch nightmare that in your nickel and when you go in your sub other sub packages you can do so much with him that he could see the field pretty early on maybe you know somewhere around like 20 30 percent of snaps. maybe even the role Mackenzie Alexander had uh just in terms of you know where he could fit into that mix and and I think it's a good plan to get him on the roster if you can, because down the road Trey Wayne's goes away potentially. You know, if they don't pick up, um, you know, obviously they picked up his fifth year option, but beyond that, we don't know. They they need to get their depth options in order. You know, they've already got Mike Hughes on there for wherever he's going to fit in. You know, year two and beyond, Holton Hill could be in a situation like that too, where they find a guy that they want. You know, their next outside corner.
1: What is your next? bullet point observation
0: i'd probably go back to dalvin just because he's such a huge part of the early part of training camp people want to know how he's moving how he looks how his speed is what they're doing with him i guess the evaluation is i mean of course they're going to be protective of of him and of course they're going to have restrictions on him but it doesn't look like there's a whole ton out there i mean everybody we've talked to has talked about how quickly he's come back from this and i know that he said you know at points that he felt ahead of schedule i am going to be looking pretty closely once they get into more team stuff we didn't see a whole ton of 11 on 11 during the first day in pads but how he's able to you know move through the various situations and you know like you know his field vision hasn't gone anywhere but with an offensive line that's kind of sus on the right side um how he's able to navigate that because that was kind of the sweet spot for him last year before he got hurt. That was the area where, you know, is he now going to be moving to the left? And I mean, where what is he over? What is he compensating for in terms of that? Because do they really want him to be as active in pass protection, knowing that it could potentially get hurt again? Um, do, where do those duties go? I mean, I'm kind of thinking more probably down the line, but it's just so early that, you know, he's looked good. People ask about him a lot, and, I mean, he's looked good. There's not much more you can say right now. How that progresses throughout camp and where Latavius Murray fits in, because right now they're splitting ones.
1: It was really important for Latavius Murray to come back.
0: Yes. They worked to get that restructure done for a reason.
1: They needed Latavius Murray to be the sure thing that they knew was not only a proven veteran veteran, who can run the ball successfully, but do the pass blocking. He can catch the ball in the backfield just fine. He didn't do a ton of it last year, but he can. And the thing that stands out about Latavius Murray is how intelligent this person is. He is the perfect guy to have around Delvin Cook. The, The Minnesota Vikings organization brought Cook in with character concerns, and now those seem laughable. That, that he was a guy that they were worried about how he was going to adjust and what his attitude might be and the people around him and would he be a problem. Now, all of it was justified leading up to that, if you look back at his history. But now it's a completely different situation in part, I think, because of who they've put him around. And with Latavius, Teddy Bridgewater played a role in this. Case Keenum played a role Terrence in this. Terrence Newman. Terrence Newman, absolutely. But Latavius is the guy who's in the room with him all the time. I think it was really important, not just for the on-field stuff, to have a proven running back, but also for the off-field stuff too, to have a guy there who played a major role in his progress in his first year.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of those concerns went away so quickly at the beginning of last year that you could already tell the impact that guys like Murray McKinnon had on him. Because really after you know, after week one, the Monday Night Football opener, and he exploded and broke all Adrian's records, I mean, you didn't hear any of that stuff brought up ever again.
1: Yeah. Um, Number three for you. So number three for me is the offensive line. Okay. I had the pleasure of seeing Rashad Hill throw up all over the place.
0: I'm sure that that was a pleasant experience. It was not.
1: Um, So he has been in and out, and then today had no pads on and was just watching. There's plenty of time for him to get the fluids back up to par and be ready to get back out there. But that means that Brian O'Neill has been taking the first-team reps. Today I was watching O'Neill pretty closely go against Everson Griffin. It looked to me like they weren't asking O'Neill on any of their plays to go one-on-one with Everson.
0: It was, yeah, because it was a, who was a tight end out to his right?
1: Uh, Morgan, Morgan was there. Times, Rudolph like, was yeah. there. There were a lot of times where they did moving stuff yeah. where they would look like they were zone blocking and maybe it was a play action or something like that. Uh so there wasn't a lot of like U V ever I think that
0: that's probably by design. They don't wanna like crush Brian O'Neal's dreams within the first, you know, two days that he's filling in because you expect Rashad Hill once he's back to go back, but really and truly once he's back, that's going to be the, the test to see, okay, is this guy ready to do this? Yeah. Can and he do this? I,
1: I guess I would feel like if they really liked what they saw for Brian O'Neill, then the door is cracked open. I don't get the sense that O'Neill has a chance to start right away, but we've seen how much can change in a training camp from day one where you think the offensive line is going to be one way and then the starting five are completely different. That does happen. Uh, but with Pat Elfline out... Everything has been shuffled around. Mm-hmm. We've got Tom Compton, Danny Isadora mixing in. Those two are the backup guards, more likely than not. And then, uh, you know, you have your usual Riley Reef. Mike Remmers is playing guard exclusively. Yeah, so he's he has not be a guard. moved
0: out at all to... And that's an interesting experiment, just to touch on that really quick, because that's something Mike Zimmer hinted at a few about a month ago, a few weeks ago, that, yeah, that's probably where he's going to play, but they haven't even attempted... To put him back out at right tackle when Hill went out to see, okay, Tom Compton can stay at left. Um, Danny Isadora could go at right. So that to me tells them that, you know, they like him at guard and maybe that they think that that's their best way to do damage control.
1: Yeah, I think that they are set, dead set on having Mike Rimmers play guard. But we will see with the way things move around. The one concern I might have about this offensive line that goes to the top of the list that I didn't have a few days ago is Pat Elfline. I think Pat Elfline is a franchise type offensive lineman who will be here for a very, very long time. I think he's going to be a 10 year NFL player that fans have his Jersey long-term for this very moment. And for starting the season off with DeForest Buckner and Mike Daniels week one and two.
0: And uh, what's his name? Um, Who's the other? Solomon Thomas is in there too.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're really right. They right they, they are facing Eric Armstead. Some great, yeah. God. They've
0: got a huge defensive they line. They are
1: facing some great Ur. defensive linemen to start the league or to start the season. And he said that he couldn't really lift weights in the offseason, which means a lot of catching up for Pat Elfline. And I'm starting to wonder how far along he's going to be one month from now if he's going to be up to 100%, because we remember. Latavius Murray got on the field in week one, two, and three last year, but he was not good, and he was not up to where he could really. He play. wasn't
0: good until the Baltimore game. That's week seven.
1: It takes a while yeah. to get back from An the ankle surgery and from the shoulder for him to have both of those spots. We didn't know about the shoulder, and now we do about the surgery. I think that that's a pretty big worry. Even if he's ready to put the pads on and play, how good he's going to be in the first couple weeks.
0: And he's talked about you know perfecting that communication with cousins and you know being in the meeting room and what those guys can do to you know work on the center quarterback communication you can't do it until you're out there I mean there were times last year where Case Keenum had talked about that when Alfline went down and when he'd have to have Berger slide in and you know obviously Joe had played the position before, but it's still different mm-hmm. and you know even on Sunday I remember. Uh, cousins in 11 on 11 or on the far side of the field. So we could see and hear pretty closely. And he's like bad snap. And it was an elf. It was an Easton snap. And then, you know, this was the same situation that we saw earlier in, you know, the preseason and the off season where he kind of in a backwards way might've thrown Nick Easton under the bus saying, you know, he's a Harvard guy, you know, he's just so smart. He's snapping the ball so quickly. That communication is is not there. And and it's probably a good thing that they're gonna move him back over to left guard once Elfline's back, but what's your contingency plan? Because yeah, it seems to be working right now, but it's not a consistent thing with Easton and Cousins. I
1: don't get the sense they really like Easton at center anyway. I mean
0: it's mean, they didn't last year, was that's kind of the indictment, right? Like that they wanted him to move over to left guard and they liked a rookie to start the only second rookie in franchise history to start week one.
1: And unless I'm making a mistake on what the offensive line looked like, when Easton or when Elfline got hurt for a game, they moved Berger over to center.
0: Late in the season, yes. Because Easton went out week 15. He got hurt, or 16, he got hurt against Green Bay. But I want to say at least. Carolina.
1: I think Carolina Elfline was surprisingly out.
0: Yes, yes. Remmers was out too, and they moved moved Easton Berger
1: over to well, center.
0: Easton, I think, played at least one game at center last year, right? I don't think he did.
1: Okay, maybe in the preseason. In the preseason, in the preseason he yes. Did. But
0: I, yeah. I, I know they had so much shuffling down the line, which is yeah. exactly what you want to avoid here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is forget. Hey, you didn't draft an offensive lineman at thirty. We're now factoring in, hey, your injured guys that you that you were you know told by the training staff here and by a lot of other indications that hey, these are gonna be ready week one. They might not be at least at this rate, granted, we know you know we're we're told that Elfline's thing is not going to keep him out much longer, but mentally keep him out essentially for, you know, getting back to where he was. I mean, that's the hurdle physically, he could be fine going back in there. It's just the communication aspect. I saw him with Mark Uyema yesterday, uh, just working on kind of, you know, just you go, you know, from the length of the 50, all the way down to the end zone, working on some, you know, quick snaps, um, if, if that's that's the most I've seen him do.
1: I would expect him to be back just based on what everyone has said within, you know, maybe next week. Sounds or like the it. I mean he can be activated
0: at any time.
1: So if he does come back pretty soon here, he's got a lot of time to get ready. It's just everyone else has spent the entire off season getting ready and he's gonna have to do that on the fly. That could be tough. What is your number one?
0: My number one's Anthony Barr. Uh, this is something we've been watching since the spring of where he's going to fit into this defense this year. I've uh, been watching him doing some pass rushing stuff, working with the defensive linemen, uh, just going through some, you know, some the bag drills and playing patty cake is what it looked like. I think he was with Steven Weatherly or might have been with Daniil Hunter. Um anyways his role is changing. It's inevitably going to change. They want the five down look. It, it makes them more versatile. And I think to a point that you brought up months ago, big picture wise, this is part of the defensive line rotation. It's not talking about potentially putting him a defensive end, but sending in five guys, um, you know, on, on specific downs and what, bar could do to potentially alleviate some, you know, other matchups. And, you know, as Everson talked to Everson Griffin talked about, you know, with where guys are getting chipped, it might free something else up. That's going to be an important role, not only for him and his contract negotiations, which are inevitably going to happen since nothing's been done. And maybe they do want to see those sack numbers. And, and if they want to pay him a high end price that he wants, and that's him getting to the quarterback, but. It's going to help this defense, I think, stay fresh and be more effective at getting that pass rush that was completely non-existent the last part of the season.
1: So I can't decide whether this is Mike Zimmer trying to talk a lot about Anthony Barr rushing with five men five men down and try to get us all to write about Anthony Barr pass rushing more, or if... It's an adjustment that he's going to make because they didn't pressure the quarterback enough at the end of last season. I don't Gotta know. Like Zimmer doesn't really throw curveballs like that. I don't think that he plots out his media strategy, but you could see it happening where it, it, this happens in every training camp. They sort of want to try something out, and everyone writes about it. We talk a lot about it. And then we get to the regular season, and it, it's status quo, and they don't want to try something different. Zimmer has always been a guy that adapts a lot. Yeah. and changes from year to year. And that's where I could see him looking at Anthony Barr's skill set and the effectiveness, not with sacks, but with pressures and QB hits, that he has been good in those areas When he per rush. He's only rushing about 10% of the time. But when he's done it, he's gotten after the quarterback pretty effectively the last two years. So maybe Zimmer does look at it and say, "Okay, well, let's see how he does off the edge against defensive linemen or offensive linemen. And if he performs pretty well there, then we will try that in real games. I think this is the time to do something like that.
0: It's been a little rough uh, just in the early part for Anthony Barr going up against offensive linemen. And as we saw today, I mean, it's a little bit different than tight ends who don't want to block you.
1: The one-on-ones, it was not the same look for him as it was for some of the more experienced defensive ends.
0: But for a guy, you know, in his fifth year of his NFL career, I mean, this is an important aspect to, to have in your repertoire. I think it makes you more valuable, and he's not, you know, he's finally... He wasn't drafted to rush the passer. He's drafted as a 4-3 linebacker. But now he could potentially, who knows, maybe one day take on the role of a Bruce Irvin where he's constantly being sent in. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I could see that. Dante Hightower Hightower, is the other example of a guy like that. Um, Before we wrap up, Kirk Cousins.
0: Yeah, forgot about that guy.
1: What have been your very, extremely, absurdly, ridiculously early Thoughts. throws um, a hard cool. ball
0: I can hear that thing I mean he's very accurate and I think the his release watching that is so much quicker than the way Kingdom got the ball out which I know is a, probably the wrong example size or you know wrong example to use but that's what we were conditioned to last year with uh, the 2017 Vikings so for me it's been watching him you know in a way, it's you're so you're f- so far back. I mean, watching him progress through his reads. I mean, there were certain ones. I think it was when we were on the closer field, where you could tell, like, you know, why did you hit Thielen or why did you hit Rudolph for like a two yard gain? Um, I don't know if you can take too much away from that, but for me, early on, it's seeing up close. Okay, how does this guy actually throw the ball? You know how does it come off his hand? That's different than the way it came off Keenum's hand. What's that like for receivers? Are they adjusting to it more? Are they adjusting the route more? Is it do they have to have more body control when they, um, you know, are, are catching a pass from him? I think all those things are relative. And, and for me, it's going to be. You know, I asked I asked uh, Riley Reef about it too, which is kind of you know just I have binoculars, so I'm like watching the huddle and I'm watching how quickly these guys are moving in and out of the huddle, and that's something that you know when we're talking about the leadership aspect of making sure all 11 guys including yourself are on the same page he is moving pretty quickly which the speed of which the speed at which they were doing things here when he first got here in April was he was very far behind
1: what about I you have definitely been impressed with the arm it's not sam bradford who has the all-time training camp arm <laughs> <laughs> i mean You know, maybe people would say, well, okay, Brett Favre or Jeff George or someone like that, and sure, okay, yeah, but Sam Bradford is in that conversation for just pure arm as far as how quickly it comes out, how accurate it is consistently. So Kirk Cousins is not Sam Bradford in terms of his arm, but he does throw the ball harder and sharper and more accurately and with just tremendously good technique. When you see the other quarterbacks, Simeon can throw the ball but when you see Kyle Soder Peter Poolealls who is actually a person who gets a jersey and gets to come out and throw some footballs he's a camp
0: body he's he won't a, be yep. here in a few weeks, but he's a camp body.
1: Right, and when you see them throw the ball, and then you watch Kirk throw the ball, it is a very significant difference. So I've been impressed with just how he throws it. Same with you.
0: And on that note, too, just to interrupt, like someone asked me on Twitter, I'm looking at it right now, Simeon, by all accounts, has looked pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: I can see why he was a starting quarterback at one point.
1: Definitely. He definitely has a NFL starting quarterback arm. It's mm-hmm. not quite as good as Kirk. Cousins, but it's good. I mean, he is a talented quarterback and he looks way better than Case Keenum looked last year, Mm -hmm. which tells you a lot about trying to analyze guys at camp. Because if you had told me this far into camp last year that Case Keenum didn't make the team, I would have said, okay, I buy that. He looked that bad to start camp last year, and Simeon looks good. It's just we know exactly where they stand, that Kirk is far and away number one. With him doing the processing things and getting from one read to the next, there is some hesitation there with him that I've seen when you're running the 11-on-11 drills. We're just so early in those 11-on-11 drills, and it's the number one defense in the NFL with everyone coming back. So I don't think he's going to look great. But if there's one thing to see for him is just how quick he gets through those reads as we go along. In the preseason games, they'll run yeah. out some of the stuff. And it's hard to
0: tell that stuff in practice. Like...
1: It is. And as we go along, though, what we even saw from Sam Bradford last year, being fully comfortable with his playbook that he and Pat Schirmer worked together to design, essentially, what we saw was by the night practice, which is toward the end of official training camp, Bradford was on the same page with everybody. Mm -hmm. And that would be my expectation for Kirk Cousins.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you give him, and we have a night practice coming up. Looking at my credential right now. um, Looks like there's only one right now. The joint practice with Jacksonville is the last. That's the end of training camp.
1: Players love those.
0: I remember a few years ago, was it the where was the fight that broke out? What weren't the Texans involved in the Raiders were definitely involved in one uh, with Cowboys with the Cowboys? Cowboys and Raiders, yeah. That's fun. Um no, the night practice is this weekend actually. It's the fourth. It's a Saturday in T- wow. the only time they're gonna be in TCO Stadium Life at night. Nice fast, man. Five days in, only what, 20 days to go. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime.
1: Once we get to the preseason games, it'll feel like we have things to actually break down but as for now it's uh it's just camp from day to day but uh overall the way that kirk cousins has come out and looked like the leader of the offense and thrown the football it's been good it should be he's making a lot of money
0: yeah and i mean it's it's the first day in pads like you would really hope it didn't look terrible (laughs) because then there would be a big concern so yeah
1: All right, well, we'll be doing plenty more here from the TCO Performance Center as well as some audio recaps that you can catch and some guests that I can pull in here as well. So we will keep you up to date on everything going on with the Vikings training camp, and we will catch you later. Thanks for listening.
0: Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar.